Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the um, always interesting and philosophical, just kidding, that last part, um, wow. Mark Muncie from Erie Travels. And our guest today is Sean Inman. Inman. I said it right the first time, <laughs> and then I just totally botched it. I That's put fine. too much pressure on you there. You did. You were like, you said it perfectly. And then I was like, then I'm done. I don't need to say it again. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about what we're drinking so I can blame that. I am drinking, um, I put vodka in this. It's pretty, isn't it? It's um, Fever Tree Blood Orange Ginger Beer. Oh, nice. And vodka. I put whiskey in this last time. Don't do that, just by the way. You can do gin or probably vodka, but... Whiskey and the blood orange part do not actually meld well together. So that happened. Mark, what are you drinking? Uh, in my wonderful Scooby-Doo mug I got at Cracker Barrel, I am drinking Mothman Root Beer uh, in honor of the Mothman Festival that's coming up. So uh, I had to get started. I love, I love the love Mothman it. stuff. That's awesome. Yep. Well, you'd love our Erie Travels podcast then, because we talk about all that stuff, because it's fun, but that's not what we're talking about. Sean, no. what are you drinking? Well, I am drinking my own blend of iced tea in my Costco thermo flask. Is that the most boring thing you've ever heard? No, um, uh, trust me, Mark has been way more boring than that. There are times oh. he's like, I can only drink water. And I'm like, why do I have you as a co-host? Like, what the heck? <laughs> What was I thinking? I'm um, heavily medicated. So I, I, I have, I, I get other fun things. There are restrictions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And I was going to say, and not self-medicated. Like, no, 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 no. It's all prescribed. I mean. That's you know, a whole different episode. By a guy yeah. named Cheech down on the corner, but you know, it's all prescribed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Sean, for the audience that may not know, what do you write? Oh gosh. Well, how much time do we have? You have a whole hour. Let it begin. Because I'm one of those authors that uh, I'm what they call genre agnostic. uh, In that I started by writing memoirs. And then I wrote romance. And then I wrote travel books. And then I wrote time travel. And then I wrote portal fiction. And then I write also uh, post-apocalyptic books. So I run the gamut. And Contrary to all good author advice, I publish it all under my own name. So if you go and look, you can find my uh, my memoirs and my sweet romance and my post-apoc and my my time travel all just mushed together on my page. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is brave. That is brave of you. That's the word I'm going to use. Because I mean, I think for some people it absolutely works. I think if you're starting out depending on what you're because you didn't throw a couple words in there which was like um children's fiction or stuff where there are certain crossing the streams that I feel like you absolutely cannot do cross totally you know. agree totally agree yeah but my, so, my my instinct always was see my first book that was successful was uh was a memoir um and it very briefly told the story well the book wasn't brief but i'll be brief uh (laughs) told the story of uh falling in love with the girl next door when i was a teenager being separated by her parents not seeing her for 30 years running into her again completely by accident uh and being married to her a year later after being apart for 30 years um and so it was kind of like a true life built-in uh romance story basically um and and that was my first book and because i published it that way uh people and i was really honest in that book i did not strive to make myself look better at all i looked like the doofus that i am in all honesty and so people when i that book sold really well and so people came to feel like they knew me as that character in the book uh and so because of that i haven't wanted to mess around with pen names at all i've kept everything i've ever published under my own name because my goal was instead of trying to find <clears throat> time travel readers uh i'm looking to find sean inman readers that just that happen to like the way i write my voice when i write and are willing to genre hop with me from a trip to alaska to a trip to 100,000 years in the future to 
uh, a, a, a redemption series like uh, like my Middle Fall series, which has 18 books in it. Wow. Okay. So I guess that begs the question, when did you begin, uh, speaking of Scooby-Doo, um, when did, we're going to Scooby-Doo back in time, when did you begin <laughs> this journey? Oh, well, in, <laughs> I've always been a procrastinator. So in, in the fall of 1975, getting into our Wayback Machine, I had a high school teacher who said, Sean, you're a good writer. And we're looking, there's a group out there looking for the best young writers in the state of Washington, which is where I grew up. And I'd like you to write a short story uh, and let's turn it in. And they're going to do this really cool thing for the people that they pick as the best young writers. And you've got six months to write this short story. Well, telling me I've got six months to write something means I'm never going to write it. <laughs> and when did I write that short story? I wrote it the night before it was due. At nine o'clock on the night before it was due the next day, I sat down at my little typewriter at my kitchen table and banged out a short story real fast. Uh, and somehow I got accepted into that. And I was named uh, one of Washington State's most promising young writers in 1976, which with just, that just fit in with what I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Uh, and then I grew up and I graduated and I got married and I had kids and I forgot all about being a writer. And I did not sit back down uh, to write until 2005 when I was uh, 55 years old. So there's a big gap in there. Like in my marriage where we spent 30 years apart, I spent a long time apart from writing too. Uh, and then uh, it took me five years to write that first book. Wow. Mostly because I had no confidence in myself. Like most early stage writers, I did not believe in myself yet. And I rewrote that book 32 times. Uh, and what I discovered was rewriting a book 32 times doesn't give you a better book. It just gives you a slightly different book. And so I finally just said, I'm just going to publish it. And I put it out there in 2012. Um, and somehow it was a little easier to be a successful writer in 2012, a successful indie writer in 2012, because uh, I knew nothing about how to promote, how to how to be discovered, how to run my Facebook page. I didn't know anything, um, but it was pretty easy back then. Um, and because that book was pretty successful, I, I wrote a follow up to it. And for the next four years, I wrote one book a year after that. And then I decided I'm going to go at this full time. And so I quit my very good job, which was a very foolish thing to do uh, because I wasn't making enough money to live on off my books yet. Uh, but somehow I talked my wife into taking the plunge with me and we both quit our very good jobs, moved down to the to the ocean here in Washington State. And I just started writing and that was in 2016. And I wrote written about uh, about five to six books a year ever since then. So I really upped my production starting in 2016. Wow. Well, that's very, very awesome. That's fun. So how many total do we have? Uh, I just finished my 38th book uh, this weekend. Wow. Crazy. Yep. That is amazing, awesome. by the way. Amazing story. And I love that because it's it's very it's very um hallmarky um <laughs> kind of, you know, it's almost like a rom-com, like. Wow. sort of feel to it. I, I think that's um, awesome. So m what has made you decide to jump genres though? I mean, a lot of us do like multi, like I, you know, Mark writes um, uh, true folk tales and stuff like true story, mm -hmm. like nonfiction I, stuff. Yeah. And he also writes fiction and he's written, you know, horror and um, uh, paranormal like and things yeah. weird things he's also written romance and stuff erotica under different names um, but those i did under a pen name i did the pen name yeah. thing yeah You're so smarter than i am <laughs> no hey yeah just got to be the smartest one in the room no um i do the same thing but it's because i write horror and i write erotica i also do nonfiction, which is published under the same name as my horror stuff but it, I feel the erotica because it's not a, like erotic horror. The yeah. streams don't cross there. Um, yeah. But what dro drove you to go through so many choices? Because when you said your second choice was romance, was it because you reconnected with this love of your life? And then you were like, I'm in love. I'm going to share it on the paper. <laughs> it was exactly like that. So I, I my first book was called Feels Like the First Time. 
which told the story of my wife and I reconnecting after 30 years. And the, the primary uh, input I got on that book was, well, we see your side of this, but what was she thinking in those 30 years when she was away and when she saw you again? Because I wrote it in the first person. So it was all, this is what I saw. This is what I thought. Uh, and so I spent a few months, I think I spent three months interviewing my wife, um, which that's kind of a form of therapy all of its own. And when you start <laughs> talking about, I need, I really need to know what you were thinking about this and how are you feeling and how did you see this? Uh, you learn a lot. Uh, and then I wrote essentially the same story as the first book, but told completely from her perspective. And that one is called Both Sides Now. And oh, so wow. both of those books are are romances that fit together pretty perfectly. So I just thought, and both of those books sold really well. So I thought, that's my niche. That's that's who I am. I'm a romance writer. Problem is, I don't read romance. <laughs> I had never, I had never read a romance. I've still never read a romance. Uh, I, I read love stories occasionally, but I'd never read a romance book. And so, but uh at Christmas time, I, I have a really active Facebook page. My author Facebook page is really active. I went in and said, listen, you guys have had made me a, a great year this year. I want to give you a gift. Give me some story ideas and I'll go write a short story for you and I'll give it away for free. Uh, and so they gave me ideas. And of course, the kind of ideas they gave me kind of centered around that first memoir that I wrote. Uh, feels like the first time in both sides now. So they wanted a, a second chance love with an older couple. And then they gave me tropes like, oh, I want to see a scene on a Christmas tree lot. Uh, and I was like uh, the 2012 version of an AI at the time. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll just write whatever you, I'll be the writing monkey and I'll just write whatever you want. And I wrote a story called Second Chance Love. And it was just a short story, maybe 10,000 words long. Surprised the heck out of me, became super popular. And I got a thousand requests for, we want to know what happens to the couple after the fade to black at the end of that scene. And so throughout 2013, then I wrote a series of 15,000 word novellas that covered a different section of time. So it was Second Chance Love, Second Chance Valentine's, Second Chance Summer, Second Chance Thanksgiving, kind of around the calendar. Um, and that book ended up selling really well. The problem was, like I say, I'm not a romance writer. And, and so I knew all of a sudden I've got three books out. They're all romances. And I'm about to handcuff myself to this genre uh, for the rest of my life. And I went and talked to a friend of mine and they gave me great advice. And here's what they told me. They said, I said, I, I, my problem is I've got this great fan base that's loyal to me and they expect more romance, but that's not what I feel. It's not what's natural for me. And this friend of mine said, here's what you got to do. You've got to write for the audience you want, not the audience you have. Yep. And I thought, oh. that's it. And so who's the audience I want? Uh, and the audience I want uh, was uh, my primary interest at the time was time travel. And so I put out a little time travel book. It did not do very well at first, which is not unusual. Here I've got all these romance followers and I put out a time travel book and they're all like, eh, yeah, okay, whatever. Good luck with that, Sean. And so for about six months, that book did not sell very well. And then something happened to it and it I wasn't doing any ads or anything, but it just started picking up and selling better and better and better. And so I thought I need to write this sequel to it. So I wrote a sequel to that. And that one was really popular. It's still the second book is still the most popular book in the series. Um, and I thought, OK, now I have found my niche. Now I'm rebuilding my my audience this way. And so that's why I've now written 18 of those books. Um, I tried to stop that series at three books <clears throat> and then I announced it was dead at six books and then I announced it's really dead this time I can see the corpse laying there at 12 books and I'm just about to start the 19th book in the series coming up so <laughs> I'm, I'm not very talented at killing a series wow wow but the, but the reality for it is the 17th and 18th books in the series have sold better than any book in the series I've ever released before. And that runs contrary to, you know, 
series kind of start here and then slowly wind down as a general rule. And this one kind of started here and is still on an upward trajectory at this point. So I have given up. I'll never declare that series dead again. I'm just going to say when I die, I'll probably be in the middle of writing the whatever number book in the Middle Falls Time Travel series. So, Oh, wow. This, this is a fabulous journey. So what have you loved the most about being able to do this? Well, I like not having to commute anymore. <laughs> my morning commute is from my bedroom to my office, which is about 10 feet away. Um, I like, in second grade on my report card, my teacher, the wonderful Mrs. Deluhosh, which I got to use that name as a character name. One of yes. the that's such a wonderful name. Mrs. Deluhosh wrote, gave me all my grades, which were pretty good. But at the bottom, she wrote, Sean does not play well with others. And I thought, and here I am like 50 some years later, and I still don't play well with others. And so this job lets me not have to play well with others. I just get to do what I want to every day, cut my own path, make my own mistakes, which I've made. Uh, but I live with the results of those mistakes. Well, I think that's, that is such a fun story. And the way you went about it is so much fun. And what I love is that it really came from a, a place of happiness. Not that writing doesn't come from a place of happiness. A lot of us have creative juices, but you really had an, a momentous event that drove this forward, which I think is just absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. And, and it saved me from having to plot out my first two books. <laughs> all i had to do was sit and remember what happened so that was wonderful so um where do you get your inspiration so many places so my first book my first piece of fiction that was successful <clears throat> if you can see this poster over my head it's uh it's called the unusual second life of thomas weaver and that's the first book in the middle false time travel series i started with the idea that I, I just started thinking one day, I wonder if I could go back in time, could I fix things with my now wife, then girlfriend, so that we wouldn't be separated for 30 years? Could I, with if I had all my knowledge I have now, could I go back and fix that so we could just stay together and have been married all those 30 years? So I took that to my editor at the time and said, here's what I think I'm going to write next. And in his words, he said, that is a hand grenade I'm going to throw my body on now. And I'll let it explode me, but I don't want you to write that book. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I pay this person, this guy, for his opinions. I guess I should probably listen to his opinions. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you've written that story twice already, people are going to think that's the only story you have. And I thought, okay, you know what? That is a valid criticism. Uh, and so I, I kind of went looking, I thought, but I love that idea of somebody traveling back to an earlier point in their life and still having all their memories of a previously lived life. Would they be able to make better decisions if they thought they knew what was coming? And so instead of writing it about my wife and I, I wrote it about another true incident in my life. When I was a little boy, I had two older cousins. They went skiing up on a mountain and on the way down the mountain, for some reason, the older of my cousins said, I'm going to get in the back and sleep. You drive, Eric. And Eric was only 15 years old. Uh, he only had a learner's permit and he's driving down a snowy, stormy mountain oh. pass and he wrecked the car. And my older cousin, Carl, was killed. Oh, my and, gosh. I'm so and, sorry to hear and, that. And I was just a little boy, but boy, that's large. That looms large in my family history. Um, and so I, I, when I was thinking about what to write, I thought that that is another regret that somebody might have. And I saw it in my cousin, Eric, all his life. There was a certain, even and he was 15, but I saw him when he was 20 and 30 and 40 and 45. And there was just a certain sadness, a cloud that kind of hung over Eric. Uh, and and I thought, I'm going to adapt that. That's going to be the, the beginning element of my book. And then I had a nephew who died in 2009, who I was very close to. We were the same age, one year apart. 
uh, and he died of alcoholism. He, he basically died of kidney failure from alcoholism, which by the way, that's why I'm drinking tea here uh, because there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Uh, so, uh, so I've never had a drink in my life and it's not for religious reasons. It's for just watching people in my family grow up. So my nephew's name was Tommy. And so I just took those two stories of him dying of alcoholism and my cousin dying. And I made Tommy Eric. And in the opening scene of the book, he kills his older brother trying to drive him back from the lake because his older brother, who is the golden child, the perfect one in the family, he dies in the, that's very early in the book. And then we skip ahead to where Tommy is now in his mid fifties. And he has so many regrets and he's never been able to pull out of it. And so he kills himself. But instead of going on to something, he wakes up in his 15-year-old body, in his 15-year-old bedroom, in his 15-year-old life. And he gets up and goes in the kitchen and he sees his older brother, who's been dead to him for 30-some years, pull up into the driveway in his Camaro. And he knows he's got a chance to make everything right again. But the question is, if you think you know what's coming, can you make things right? Can you live a better second life if you think you know what's coming? Um, and so that's the that's the gist of all 18 books in the series. It's about redemption and second chances. And so I take people that live their first life poorly and unaware of themselves, uh, the unexamined life and put them back in an earlier point in their lives and let them live through their life. And if they don't figure it out on their second pass through their life, they get sent back again and again and again. One of my characters in the 12th book is sent back over 1,100 times to try wow. to figure out what's going on with his life. Um, so that's the gist of that series. And that <clears throat> writing that series has fulfilled me in so many ways because um, it's emotional, uh, it's quiet. There's not, uh, beyond the car crash that happens in the very first chapter of the very first book, there's not a lot of car chases or violence or there's not a lot that happens in the book. It's all very, uh, very much a redemptive arc as people slowly start to open their eyes to their own life and figure out where they're going wrong and how to, how to fix it. So. I don't even have words right now, Mark. <laughs> You got to jump in for me. I, well, I, I'm a fan of your other series, uh, Craddock the Champion. Uh, I, I love that. School, I don't know anybody that's a fan of Craddock the Champion. Oh, no, no. As an old school Robert E. Howard. And, exactly uh, what you it know, is. I, I like that you're bringing it back. You know, it's one of those. Uh, I'm a pulp. I grew up on the pulps. That me was too. that was my. I, I wasn't into comics till later. I got. Yeah. I grew up on the shadow and all that. So and Conan, you know, was a big influence on that. Man of Bronze, all those kind of guys. Yeah, I see that uh, in your writing. So tell tell me a little bit of how how that started. How that series start. So when I tried to kill Middle Falls, that was after twelve books. I thought, well, if I'm going to kill that, I need to go write something else. And I had a, an idea that I'd had in my mind since I was 12 years old. And that was, I used to read a lot of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jules Verne. They were probably my two favorite writers as I was growing up before I got into science fiction at like 16 and got into Ray Bradbury and Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov and the masters of the golden age of science fiction. Um, so I had been carrying this Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of idea around. I loved journey to the center of the earth and uh, Pellucidar, where you take a modern man, of course, in his case, the modern man was from 1910, because that's when he was writing his books. You take a modern man and you thrust him into a uh, an old civilization. Um, and so I wanted to write that, but I want the problem with the Edgar Rice Burroughs and the Jules Verne books now are they're written in the style of 115 years ago. So they feel kind of suffocating to today's readers. So I thought, wonder if I could take that idea and expand on it. And so I did. And I wrote what is now the eight book Alex Hawk series, which is basically my tribute to Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jules Verne. But I wrote six of those books. And then I thought, well, now I'm tired of writing these too. So and I, I'm not going back to Middle Falls and I don't want to write any more of those right now. So what else? And I thought, well, what else did I really love when I was a kid? And I, my first thought was Robert E. Howard. 
uh, and uh, Conan and 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 Cole the Conqueror and uh, all of those stories. And so I thought, I think I'd like to write a, a sword and sandals kind of story. Yeah. And then I thought, but I, I want to do it with a hook. I don't want to do it, just create another muscle-bound character. Uh, and so I thought, <laughs> I got lucky, and the movie Galaxy Quest came on uh, oh. on cable right at the same time I was thinking about this book. And I thought, what if I took Galaxy Quest and Conan the Barbarian and I meshed them together? And so I created a world where people crossed over a dimension saw a movie uh, called Craddock the Champion and thought that the actor that was in it really was the hero. And so I'm stealing that idea, obviously, from Galaxy Quest. And so they grab him and they haul him across the dimensional portal. And then they find he is not the hero they thought at all. He is your typical spoiled spray tan uh, Hollywood hero that doesn't has no idea how to do anything. And so through the two Craddock books, he has to, it's his hero's journey where he has to learn how to grow and expand and become the hero that this world needs because our two worlds are interconnected. And if their world goes to darkness, which is what they're risking, Earth will go to darkness as well. Um, and I think that book had some fun ideas in it. I don't know if you've read Stephen King's fairy tale, yeah. um, but his idea in fairy tale was that there's an alternate world where the things that are happening there are the things that kind of play out as the fairy tales in our world here. Well, I'm never going to say Stephen King stole the idea from me because I know way better than that. But in the Craddock books, that's the idea that I have there. So all of the things that we have as mythology here on Earth are real in this other world that he gets transported to. So there's vampires and there's ogres and there's uh, there's zombies and there's uh, 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 there's these things called unaware wolves, uh, which is probably my favorite thing in the book because an unaware wolf is a person who turns into a werewolf, but they all they do is stare at the moon and they become unaware of their other circumstances around them. So I call them unaware wolves. Which, um, if you read my books, I kind of like puns. So. Yeah, I was, I was, I was noticing a very Piers Anthony, uh, you know, you Piers know. Anthony is my hero. Yes, no, I was noticing that when I read it. So, I try to keep myself a little bit under control, but I, I, I admit I kind of let myself go in the Craddock books. There's a yeah, lot of sophomoric humor. There's a lot of fart humor in the Craddock books. I did <laughs> notice that. I did notice that. <laughs> The thirteen-year-old okay. me loved it. So, and there, yeah, and there's a, a character in there whose name is Grint, who is my alter ego, who's a little shape-shifting goblin who has no, uh, what do you call it? He, he from his brain out his mouth it comes, and so he is he is my, he is me in the series, this little <laughs> shape-shifting goblin. So all the horrible things he says to people are the things I try to keep locked up in my brain and not let out my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He's my stand-in. <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, artists formerly known as. Okay, we have to take a quick break and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. Hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. We're back, just writing books offline. That's what we do here as authors. <laughs> We've we all written a novel ideas. now since we've taken our break. It's we did, fine. We did a jam session during the commercial. It was great. <laughs> yes, it was pretty badass, actually. We're like okay. three people sitting around with our guitar just, hey, have you heard this riff before? Yep, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, I think when authors tell me that um, they don't have ideas for their next books and stuff, I'm like, are you not talking to other authors at all? Because you can sit around and just go, 
hey, have you ever guys had any weird ideas for books? And some people will go, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And they're not genres they want to write. Right. You know, unlike you, Sean, who apparently will write everything, but I'm going to ask you a question about that in a minute. Um, But it's interesting because I go, how do you not get in? Like people inspire me. Like most of my both um, humorous erotica and horror books come from people in situations like for just the awkwardness for the humorous erotica. And then I just, I'll look at situations and go, how could this go really freaking wrong? Oh, I know. <laughs> now I'm going to write that story. Like, how can this get totally screwy? I have well, a note on my computer that says, what's the worst thing you can do to your character? Do it. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I saw a meme yesterday that said it had a, like a, it's stick figures, but a stick figure of, and it said main character. And then it was the writer behind him almost vibrating because they're about to do something terrible to him. <laughs> the main character was just like clueless. <laughs> it's true. You start thinking about them, it's almost like people. And then you're like, I'm going to destroy you. That's that's a Harlan Ellison quote is, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, the main character, all you're doing is hoping he makes even stupider decisions because otherwise you have no plot. <laughs> well, in my first Middle Falls book, we all get favorite characters, right? Yeah. And I created this character. Her name was Carrie uh, in homage to Stephen King's Carrie. And I made her very much like that. Uh, long, straight hair, outcast. Nobody at school wanted anything to do with her. Well, I fell in love with this young outcast girl. And then at some point in the book, it became obvious to me that she was going to need to die. Um, and I couldn't stand to kill off this character. So I warped my whole world to find a way to keep her alive. And she has now appeared in more Middle Falls books than any other character. Nice. Wow. <laughs> um, so with that said, um, are there any genres that you are like, nope, I'm not going down that genre route? No, not really. Um, I, I try to write what I enjoy reading. Um, so I love time travel books. I've loved them all my life. And uh, for instance, when I, uh, back in, I forget, whatever the year that uh, uh, Stephen King's 112263 was published, I read that book and I loved it. Um, it's the one about the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. So what happens is his character gets thrown back in time. <laughs> But he doesn't get thrown back to 1963. He gets thrown back to 1959. And so he's got to live back in that era for four years before he can try to stop the Kennedy assassination. What I found myself was I bought the book because I want to see if this guy can stop the Kennedy assassination. 800 pages later, we still haven't gotten to the Kennedy assassination. And I don't care about that anymore. Yep. I care about life in the 50s and small town life and the stories of the people. And that's when I said to myself, I don't care about the Kennedy assassination anymore. I want to write stories that are set in the 50s and 60s and 70s in a small town. And that's when I created Middle Falls. Um, so I try to just write things that are appealing to me as a reader. No, that makes sense. Is So um, where are you going next? Are you still in time travel or do you have, you know, what are something brewing? I have, I have three, uh, I have three active series right now. So I have Middle Falls, which has 18 books out and I'm writing the 19th starting in uh, the end of September. I have uh, the Alex Hawk time travel series. That's where the modern man gets thrown ahead in the future to what turns out to be caveman times. Um, I just finished the eighth book on that, and I am putting the ninth book up for pre-sale in that for early next year. So that's two active series. And then I have a third series called The Chronicles of Altor, um, which that's my new post-apocalyptic series. Um, I love post-apoc. So uh, uh, Alas, Babylon was the first post-apoc I ever read. Uh, then uh, uh, On the Beach by Neville Shute, another great post-apoc. Uh, Earth Abides, another great post-apoc. So all the, and then what blew my brain was in the early 70s when I read Lucifer's Hammer, which is the first 
comet hitting the earth kind of story. It's like a thousand pages. Um, and they wrote very differently back in the 70s. So you don't even get to the comet hitting the earth until like 500 pages in. But I love that story so much that I knew someday I'm going to write that post-epoch story. And in mine, I but you need that inciting event. What is going to be? And so the popular ones are comets slamming into the earth, uh, massive earthquakes or volcanoes exploding, uh, EMP bursts that takes out all the technology or zombies. I'm If you look at the top 100, those five are what dominate the top 100. I don't know if there's anything on the top 100 that isn't one of those things. I didn't want to write that. So I looked at what else it could be and I saw social inequity and, and wealth inequity. Uh, and I wrote about where the poor rise up against the rich and start tearing the rich down, where all of a sudden it's actually a bad thing to be wealthy. Um, and, uh, and then there's some anarchists who see what these people are doing, who've just been waiting to give the world a little push into anarchy, and they give that push in a big way, and all of a sudden the world is ending. But there's one man who had invented a computer that could see into the future, and it told him this was coming. So he built a massive dome in the Nevada desert where he could create an ark, basically, and take 10,000 people inside the dome where they could be safe. Uh, and that's the series that I'm writing now. And ultimately, now we have found out that that series and my Alex Hawk series are connected. They're just about 100,000 years apart. So my Chronicles of Altor is the prequel, as it turned out, to the Alex Hawk time travel series. Nice. I wow i know it's wow yeah no that's okay um uh i mark i'm gonna let you ask one more question and then we're going into literary briefs because my mind is blown right now and i just yeah all right so the other one i gotta ask about is uh uh because i'm reading a book currently for our eerie travels podcast about uh alien encounters with rock stars uh, and, and, and they're real events that these people swear happened to them. So I have to ask about rock and roll heaven. You bet. So, uh, where did that one come from? Well, so in, and, and you might get the idea here. I'm a big Stephen King reader because I, I am, uh, he's been my favorite writer since, uh, 1976 when I first picked up Carrie and, and nice. read it. Um, so in the early 90s, I was working as a buyer for a department store. Uh, I bought lawn and garden and electronics and all those boring things for a department store. Um, but in, uh, in my off time, I thought I'm going to I would like to be a writer eventually. I'm tired of working these nine to five jobs. So I'd like to write. Well, at the same time, I bought Stephen King's book, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. And in that book, he wrote a story called, Yeah, We've Got a Hell of a Band. And it's about a young a couple who gets lost and ends up wandering into the woods where they find all of these uh, old dead rock stars like Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison and Janis Joplin. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so right up my alley. And then because it's Stephen King, he turned it into a horror story cool. That's his story. That's great. But I thought that is not what I would do with that story at all. I would want to really explore the lives of these rock stars without turning them into ghouls. Uh, and so I created Jimmy Guitar Velvet, uh, who is a small time rocker who never makes it big, who dies in a bus crash. And that's like the low level rocker version of dying in a plane crash because they weren't wealthy enough to get on an airplane. They were on a bus. And he wakes up on the other side and slowly ascends to heaven where he's judged by St. Peter, who is about to push the button to send him the wrong way when he says, wait a minute, were you a rock and roll musician? Because guess what? We've got this thing called rock and roll heaven. And so Jimmy Velvet goes through the pearly gates and goes into where all of the old rock and roll stars are. So he meets Buddy Holly and Bobby Darren and... Uh, uh, Dennis Wilson and Roy Orbison and Janis Joplin, all my heroes, because I, I was a radio DJ for 10 years. So I've always really been into music. Um, and so he, the problem was it didn't really have a plot. It was just a setting. I see this guy talking to Buddy Holly, but what's the purpose of it all? And so I finally came up with a little hook, which was that in rock and roll heaven, no new music can be created. 
you only can play what you've created on earth but in a way jimmy velvet is the chosen one and so he has the ability and he opens up rock and roll heaven to the ability to write and create new music and he writes a song with uh, buddy holly called the edge of heaven that i think is really good and i can say that because i didn't write it i i asked a friend <laughs> of mine to write the lyrics for it because i'm not a good lyricist at all I tried and they were painfully embarrassing. So I reached out to a friend of mine and he wrote the lyrics to that song. Important tip for other authors. Yes. yes. Know your know your role. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> things you can't do and that's okay. Yeah. See, as as novelists, we tend to have so much exposition. It's kind of like when people try to cross over to screenwriting, which I think is brilliant, but you have to remove all of the exposition out of it in order to write. Right for a play or a screenplay, because you're doing a show, not a tell, and you can have exposition out the yin-yang, kind of to your point of the five, you know, a thousand word book, and we're 500 pages to get to the, the meteor. Nobody wants that. So same with lyrics. They have to hit. You may think, oh, this is great. Maybe you have the chorus. Yay, you. But trust me, when somebody has to put it to music, yeah, yeah. that is, that. Yeah. We, we have a, um, a musician that writes for other podcasts named Destiny Beard. She is amazing. Yeah. And we're, we're just much better at going, hey, this is the kind of thing we want to do with this stuff. And here's some backstory. Can you go write a Can song that's brilliant? Yeah. yeah. And then, cool. That's awesome. And then we the, just this audiobook? No problem. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Great. Here's some money. Do it. Yeah. Here, here's well, all the money. All right, so, so I have to ask the combination of what, you know, you know, if you were going to combine post-apocalypse and rock and roll heaven, you know, you get six string samurai, the movie, if you've never seen that, definitely watch that. But I have you know, a, what's it called? Six string samurai. <laughs> that it's, sounds like something right up my alley. Definitely watch it. It's amazing. And uh, I'm gonna write that down right now. What, it's one of the best movies you've never heard of. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Elvis, the king of post-apocalypse Vegas is dying. And so all the other, guys are heading to vegas to be the new the new king so right, but, that uh, sounds right up my alley amazing. yeah enjoy so <laughs> all right but Very anyway cool. well my we, question is what would you do a post-apocalypse uh, but we, we're gonna go to okay now you have to ask that but we're supposed to go literary brief you have one That's, question mark and you're eating up literary brief time sorry fine answer never the mind drop it no drop no it. No, because now I'll get angry emails about yeah. not answering that question. That's what okay, I'm doing so now. what would I do if I wanted to combine a rock and roll fantasy with a post-apoc? Yep. Oh, gosh. Now you're going to make me think of a whole new series to write here. Okay, well, watch Six String Samurai and then get back to me. All right, so there we go. All right, Erica, literary briefs, let's do it. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to get there. I was going to go somewhere else. I was going to go take like a snooze and let you finish this episode, Mark. <laughs> You guys peas in a pod here okay literary briefs rapid fire questions first question sean what is your favorite book of all time uh, uh it's kind of a cliche but it's to kill a mockingbird i love to kill a mockingbird the I sequel just, not i so can much. never get away from it oh to, uh, go set a watchman I, I couldn't i didn't even finish it so but yeah. to kill a mockingbird to me that's pretty close to perfection yes very well done um what about your least favorite book uh, well, I, I don't want to tell you the, the title of it, but uh, a few years back, uh, uh, another writer asked me if I would blurb their book. And I was young and foolish, uh, younger and foolish, and I agreed to. And it was so horrible uh, that I made a new policy that I will never, ever, ever agree to blurb anyone else's books after this. Because it, it puts you in an impossible situation where you read something that you cannot recommend, but you've already promised them that you will write something yeah. about it. So that's probably the best writing I ever did to give them a blurb without actually sacrificing my own integrity. <laughs> okay. Um, and here's the thing. I agree with that. I think if you are friends with the author and you know, in general, you like their books, then you can go, hey, you know, hey, do you want to take a look at I'm writing, you know, my new rock and roll apocalyptic manuscript or whatever the hell now Mark's going to go write because of this podcast. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think that's one thing, but I think authors need to understand too, going, hey, will you blurb my book? Um, 
the question needs to change to, hey, I would love for you to read my manuscript and let me know if you'd like to blurb it. And the author has to be willing to accept the word, no, I'm not. By the way, that's how I got a blurb from Piers Anthony on my first book and second book in the Middle Fall series. I just dropped him a line uh, to his email, which he foolishly published, uh, giving me access to it, uh, and said, Mr. Anthony, here's the books of yours that I've read and loved. Would you mind reading the first book in my series? And he was like, send it on, but I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And I thought, okay. I'll take that. And then he gave me a really lovely blurb uh, for uh, The Unusual Second Life of Thomas Weaver, which I think is probably there on the cover. Nope, not on that one, but it's on the cover that's in on Amazon right now. I forget what he said, but he said something very nice about it. Pierce Anthony is amazing. He's willing to be on this podcast. They just got to go to his tree farm and then COVID hit. And it was definitely a thing where I was like, Let's not kill Pierce Anthony. No. I don't want to be responsible for that. Way too much treasure. pressure. Uh, and you asked for my favorite books. Well, his On a White Horse, or On a Pale Horse, uh, the, the first book in the Incarnations of Immortality uh, is way up there on my list as well. Yeah, um, I was going to say, to yeah, To Behold a Pale Horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auto, um, I love the incarnations of immortality. I thought it was brilliant. Honestly, mine is is some of his Xanth books because when you talk about puns, they are brilliant puns. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, next question, and then Mark gets to ask a question. Hey. Um, if uh, we're gonna pick your rock and roll book, because I know there's way too many to just go pick a book, but who would you cast as the lead actor in that book? You know, we think about those things. So as I was, I, I so I, I forgot to finish that story, which was I originally wrote Rock and Roll Heaven in 1993 before self-publishing was a thing. So I sent it off to various people, collected my rejection slips on it, and then just stuck it in a drawer and, and never did anything with it. So uh, 20 years later in 2013, by now self-publishing exists, I was able to put my story out myself. And so I did so. So when I first wrote uh, Rock and Roll Heaven, I so clearly had in mind Rick Springfield uh, to play the lead character. He's kind of an aging rocker, which in 1993, Rick was in his, I think his 40s, late 40s maybe, and he would have been perfect to play Jimmy Velvet. Um, I love Rick Springfield. And I think that he is, um, I'm not like, Oh, I'm a Rick Springfield fan, but first of all, everybody loves Jesse's girl. If you don't love Jesse's girl, don't even talk to me, right? (laughs) And the other thing is, I think everybody forgets that he was an actor first. Like, that's what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica gets killed in the pilot, and uh, (laughs) and then Forever Night. He was the first Forever Night. A lot of people forget. Okay, Mark, now that you've gone completely obscure, what's your question? My gosh. All right. So you, you wrote about, you know, your nonfictions were your your memoirs basically back then and now it's been a number of years are you considering another memoir at any time soon you know i i the reason i switched to fiction was because i felt like my um my memoir covered my life covered was a little bare at that point and i didn't want to just keep writing because that's what people expected of me um i've been fortunate to have a pretty interesting life i was uh, 13 years old, and I was on a fishing, a crabbing vessel in Alaska, uh, getting a full half share on a crabbing vessel in 1973 when I was only 13. Nice. Um, I, I traveled the United States with the unlimited hydroplanes. I worked in radio for 10 years and met all these famous people. So I had kind of an interesting life, but to me, there's no hook there. There's not enough to write another memoir there. So instead, what I do is I take these little slices of life, I write them as short stories, and I usually typically give them out to my mailing list. And every once in a while, I'll gather them together. Like I gathered 13 of my short stories together in a book called Life is Short. Uh, and uh, and that's just, that was my collected short story fiction up through 2016. I probably got enough to put another book together. Life is still short or something like that. <laughs> Maybe not as short as I thought. Yeah. All right. But, all right so uh, my next question is, uh, so you, you've, you've listed a lot of great inspiration. You've listed a lot of, you know, you know, we talked to old school and stuff like that. So what is your go-to guilty pleasure book? Not inspirational, just fun. 
man. You know, there's a book that I go back to every year. I go back and read it, even though it's semi-obscure. It's called Giants in the Earth by O.E. Rollbog, uh, which just, it's like, I tell people it's like Little House on the Prairie for grown-ups. So where Little House on the Prairie is kind of a sanitized version of life in Minnesota, this is a very non-sanitized uh, version that was uh, O.E. Rollbog's grandfather. He wrote it in the 1920s. Had actually, or was it great grandfather? Some one of his relatives had actually helped settle uh, the Dakotas, um, and they're living in sod huts on the South Dakota plains year round. And there's just something about that story that is so attractive to me uh, that I go back to it constantly. I don't know if that counts as a guilty pleasure, but it's probably the book that I've read more than any other book. That's the guilty pleasure book. Trust me, me and Mark have ours too. We're on a firm mission to collect as many ridiculous copies of our books as possible. Yep. So, because it is one that you go back to, you read, and it's a comfort. And it, you know... It's no longer, oh, what's going to happen? I know what character dies in the winter storm. So, but I just, I need to read it again. It makes me feel that emotion the same way. And that was originally assigned to me in high school back in 1976. And I probably read it pretty much every year since 1976. Wow. Oh, that's very cool. Okay. What is the weirdest fan reaction you've ever had? Oh, yeah. Well, Whatever that was right there. (laughs) I'm really fortunate. uh, As I mentioned, I have a really active Facebook page. So I'm in constant contact with my readers. I love that. Uh, Thomas Weaver in his book kills himself to go back and have a chance to set things right. I have gotten an email twice from somebody who said, thank you for showing me the way I'm off to kill myself now, Uh, which (laughs) that's a heavy burden to lay on somebody else because I, I just used it as a literary device. I do not take suicide as a laughing matter. Suicide has touched me in my own life. Uh, Suicide and suicide attempts where I discovered the person uh, twice who was trying to commit suicide um, and it's a, a ground earth-shaking uh, experience so but in this case it was a literary uh, technique that I felt was justified and necessary to send Thomas Weaver back uh, and that was a brutal and by the way I did a I'm a pretty good online detective and I went and found that person months later just happily posting things on Facebook and so I think they just posted that to screw around with me as a writer um and so anyway that was that was really unpleasant no I can say I had the same thing one of the first short stories I ever published um has an element of suicide in it and it was from a perspective of somebody who had tried to kill themselves but was actually upset that they were found because not that people should ever use this as a tool, but there are some people that do a, a, a maneuver around it for a sympathy effect, which is unfortunate because there are people that genuinely need help. And it's, you know, um, and the per, one of the reviews who read it said I promoted suicide. And I'm like, um, no, no, this is okay, whatever. And you have to, I hate to say like, go, okay, I'm just going to put this over here because I'm not, I can't, I'm, no, I'm not even going to get into it with that human. That's like, that was their view, but it's true that any story that you write, somebody could take a weird view of your story because they're they're seeing it through their lenses and not the lens that you wrote it from, yeah. right? And it altered the way I wrote the series going forward. In the first three books, the protagonists all commit suicide to reset themselves. From that point going forward, I changed that because I didn't want any more of that. So now the protagonists either die in accidents or just die of old age or die of disease or or whatever, but they're not voluntarily restarting themselves anymore because I just I didn't want to deal with that. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Okay, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? <laughs> Chocolate chip cookie dough. Isn't that everybody's favorite flavor of ice cream? And it's not my favorite flavor of ice cream. Either, but- Mine is an obscure flavor that I never see, except for I've seen it two places, literally on this planet, and that's it. it. It's called Peach Melba. 
Ooh, and it's good. it's peach and raspberry with oh, vanilla okay. ice cream. I, you could sell me that. Exactly. <laughs> My um aunt who's passed away had it at her ice cream shop in a little town called Green Lake, Wisconsin. And then I've seen it once on the menu at Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, Florida. But other than that, I have not like I go I've to ice cream. Seen. I exactly I so listeners if you know where I can find peach melba let yeah. me know because I can never find it and it's my favorite ice cream flavor what about you Mark what's yours oh mine's mint chocolate chip so it's uh, yeah it's a variant <laughs> I like it you said variant okay Mark I'm gonna let you ask the final question here all right so final question is you know you're you're you you're you are a are you a pantser or a plot I am 100% a pantser. Uh, I don't make a single note before I sit down to write a book. I start with a blank word document and sit down and close my eyes and see a scene in my head. And I write that scene. And then I ask myself, well, what would happen next? And I think that, and I look at the character and I'll have conversations with that character. Hey, she just said that. How would you respond to that? And they tell me in my head. Um, so I hear of writers that can't see movies in their head. I, I don't know how they write because that's the only way I know how to write is I get a movie. Um, one book, I wrote an entire book off of one word. And I sat down with a blank doc in front of me and I said, give me something. And the one word fell into my head and that word was flicker, which is weird. But I knew what it was. It was the flickering image of a projector casting onto a drive-in movie screen. And so I wrote an entire book set at that drive-in in Middle Falls, Oregon in uh, 1963 through 1990 or so. And wow. it all came. I, I there. That's the 17th book in the series. There had never been a drive-in in Middle Falls until I saw that word flicker. So I don't know if you can be any more of a pantser than that to have an entire <laughs> book determined by a single word like that. No, that is. I I love pantsing. I'm I'm firm 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 in the pantsing genre, so to speak. And, um, and so Dean Wesley Smith's writing into the dark is like a, a Bible to me. Um, because I was already writing that way before I read his book, Writing into the Dark. But when I read it, I was like, oh, there I am. There I am between the pages of, of Dean Wesley Smith's book. That is so awesome. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. Where do people find you? What is the best place as far as social media? You said Facebook, but how do they locate you? They can just, uh, in the search bar, if they just type in uh, uh, Sean Inman Writer in the search bar. That'll take them to my page. Um, I post on there every day. I respond to every comment that anyone ever leaves. Um, I have uh, I have three other groups, one dedicated to the Middle Falls uh, series, one dedicated to my new post-epoch, and one for my advanced readers. But those all funnel out from my main group, which has about 52, 5,300 people in it. Uh, and I post in there every single day. I don't care if I'm sick or what, I'm posting in there. Um, and then from there, if they want, there's a, a way they can click uh, to join my newsletter. And I am one of those writers that does not send out a lot of newsletters. I send one out every time I publish a new book. So about every other month, I send out a newsletter that says, hey, here's my, uh, here's my, new, uh, my new newsletter, my new book. One other thing is what's become really important to me as a writer these last few years is audiobooks. Uh, and if you search my name on Audible, you'll find about, I think I've got 37 of my 38 books are up on, on audio on Audible. Because I have a good relationship with Audible, they have made the first 12 books in the Middle Fall series free to listen to with any account on Audible. And the first book in the Alex Hawk series is free to listen to. So if anybody's interested and they like audiobooks and they don't want to spend money or a credit, I get it. You can go listen to one of my books on Audible for free if you have an account. Very cool. And then become rapidly addicted and then have to have 38 books. That so I get so how this goes. I totally get how this goes, Sean. I, I'm like a literary version of a drug dealer. Yeah. You are like the you literary drug page. dealer. I just like open yeah, the, try a little the sample. And, yeah. 
my goodness. You have been so much fun. Thank you so much for being here with us. I really enjoyed this time. You guys are great interviewers. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, This has been uh, Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Mark Muncie from Erie Travels. Our guest has been Sean Inman. Did I do it correctly that time? Yes. Okay. Um, that's okay. I was like, don't psych yourself out. You're psyching yourself out. You should have seen the whole mental war that was going on in my head. It was terrible. But with that, um, wonderful followers here, we will see you next time. <laughs>